0: Radio. Today's the day of those who went away, those who didn't come back, the memories and the heroes.
1: Fellow Australians, it is my melancholy duty to inform you officially that in consequence of a persistence by Germany in her invasion of Poland, Great Britain has declared war upon her
2: and that as a result, Australia is also at war. This was the announcement broadcast across the country that marked the start of Australia's role in the Second World War. Back then, Australia was still part of the British Empire and strongly believed in supporting Britain. But the country wasn't really prepared for another war. The army only had around 3,000 soldiers. So the military set out to recruit a new expeditionary force to fight across land, sea and sky... There was also the citizens' military forces, or militia, which were similar to today's army reserve. In 1942, the government made it compulsory for all men aged between 18 and 35 to join the CMF. Some would end up on the front lines. By the end of the Second World War, close to a million Aussies would serve. That included more than 5,000 indigenous soldiers, who signed up to fight for a country that didn't yet count them as citizens. Women also played a much bigger role in the Second World War. For the first time, they were allowed to enlist in the armed forces. And by the end of the war, they were serving in all sorts of roles, from driving to manning anti-aircraft guns. Women also kept the economy going at home, taking on many of the jobs usually done by men. At first, many Australian soldiers were sent to fight in Europe, the Mediterranean and North Africa. But in 1941, the war got a lot closer to home. Japan, which was already at war with China, attacked British, Dutch and American territories in Asia and the Pacific. It had allied itself with Nazi Germany and had its own plans to control the whole Pacific region. Its armies swept across Southeast Asia, and many feared Australia would be next. After brief attacks on the city of Darwin and submarine attacks in Sydney and Newcastle, they began an invasion of New Guinea, which was an Australian territory at the time. The Japanese Navy wanted to take control of the capital, Port Moresby, by sea. But they were defeated by US and Australian forces in a major naval and aerial battle known as the Battle of the Coral Sea. Meanwhile, a force of 2,000 Japanese soldiers set out to take Port Moresby overland, trekking across a track we now know as Kokoda. They were met by a much smaller group of Australian soldiers who were trekking towards an airfield in the north, and the Battle of Kokoda began. It's remembered as one of the most difficult campaigns of the war. The soldiers, who were mostly young and inexperienced, battled not just the Japanese but also the elements. Today
0: we'll remember the men of World War II, we'll remember the men of Vietnam, of the Korean War, of Afghanistan, and, of course, of World War I. Keep the home fires burning, which uh, the wives and mothers and girlfriends did for years and years. And hard to imagine today when you think about modern entertainment and the way of life, but they launched an advertising campaign. <laughs>
3: Once more our mother is calling, once more she's facing the fall. Once more her sons send their answer, bravely to help her they go. Now that old England's in danger, loud goes the cry of the fall. Mother, your sons will stand beside you, fight for all England and home Do your duty Help your mother or the foe Take your gun and stand beside her Don't be called to stay at home These not words, my boy, are wanted Throw yourself into the fray Now's the time to show your courage Be a man and endless today When you're at home by the fireside, reading the news of the war, telling of deeds full of glory done in those regions afar, shame, you should sit there in comfort, knowing you should share the strife. Brother, your king and country need you. Strike from when now Australia, do your duty. Help your mother all the foe. Take your gun and stand beside her. Don't be called to the stay-at-home. these is not worth my boy. I wanted throw yourself into the fray. Now the time
0: to show your courage Be a man and live today That was it. It was an advertising campaign launched by radio in all the Allied countries and it was called Be a Man and Live Your Life Today. My dear dad, God love him, uh, never talked about the war until uh, sadly the last year of his life and one of the few things he said uh, repeatedly when we did eventually get a chance to sit down and chat was one thing above all else made life bearable. It was mateship.
4: I quite enjoyed it as a matter of fact. I I liked... uh bullets flying and that kind of thing i like to send a few myself too
1: what are we fighting for i suppose it's for the right to stand up on a soapbox in the domain the right to tell the boss what he can do with his job if we don't like it and the right to start off as a rouseabout and finish up as prime minister that's what we're fighting for
4: It's was stage where you felt if you didn't enlist and get there, the war would be over before you had a chance, and you wanted to be in it. And that was true. We just felt we were the war, be, we were going to miss it, you know. It was, it was an adventure. How silly you can be. <laughs>
0: one of those places uh, anyone who was involved in the First World War remembers only too well. The gunfire was so loud it could be heard from Passchendaele across the English Channel in Dover, would you believe? One of the things uh, you tend to forget and then uh, you think, I wonder what it really was like, and then the men began to tell their own stories. If you did manage to survive what happened at Gallipoli, you ended up in Flanders Fields.
5: There's a very
6: strong French-Australian association, very strong indeed. They really adore the Australians there. I mean, they revere them. They honour Anzac Day more than we do. It's quite incredible, really. The school children in France. These youngsters, after we'd planted our wreath, these youngsters came up and put flowers on the memorial and came back and sang Advance Australia Fair. And I said to this lady, I said, It's wonderful to see these school children putting flowers on the memorial. She said they do that every week. If they didn't we'd be ashamed. The children, youngsters, weekly putting flares on the memorial. That's the tradition on the Sommefront, the reverence of the Australian soldiers.
4: We were living more or less below ground level. There you had to because of shelling. The artillery was terrible in France. That was the worst part of France. And, of course, that went back behind the lines. That wasn't only in the front line. That's where it was worse. It'd be in seven days in and seven days out. When you came out, you were still under shell fire. As a matter of fact, they killed the captain and the lieutenant. First day, we got up to the support line, not in the trenches, about half a mile behind it. These two officers, they started talking just outside our signal office. And I stepped out of the uh, the office, and this 4.2 house, of shell, landed behind him. He got trapped on his back and that. He was dead in line with the, the shell. And myself. So he took what I would have got if he hadn't been there.
7: In Flanders Fields the poppies blow Between the crosses, row on row That mark our place and in the sky the larks Still bravely singing fly Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived. Felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved and now we lie In Flanders Fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hand we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high, if ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in flanders fields. Fear not that you have died for naught, the torch you threw to us we caught, and now our hands will hold it high, its glorious light shall never die. We'll not break faith with you who lie.
0: On many a field, lest we forget. The words of John McCrae in Flanders Fields, the poppies grow. It was on the 31st of October 1917, and I remember I was uh, oh, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around right about there, and uh, Western Command in Francis Street, uh, the barracks used to be in Perth, and I was talking to uh, a lovely old gentleman, and he was telling me what happened on that day. He said he was one of them that happened to be there. He was a member of the 12th Light Horse Regiment or the 4th Light Horse Brigade. It was called the Battle of Bathsheba, the Charge of Bathsheba. They charged on horses with bayonets in their hands. It was the only weapon. The rifles were slung across their backs. In the Middle East, our
1: Anzacs battled against the Germans and the Turks. Most of our boys in the Light Horse or in the Camel Corps. I suppose the greatest Anzac victory of the war was when they captured Bathsheba, the greatest cavalry charge in history, I reckon.
0: One of the great battles that really defined the Great War. This morning we're remembering what the men were like and the women were like who went off to fight. And some of them left home and came back and used their own words. Oh, Well, that goes
6: back to the day when the war was declared. And I can remember at school the teacher he just read this publication in the Daily Paper how we were committed to war. And I couldn't hold myself and and I I just said, balled out, I'll be there. And that was in 1914 when the war was declared. Well, I knew that when I was old enough and able to, I would, yes, I I would enlist.
1: Well, then uh, we were uh, building light railways and plank roads and things like that. And general work, just general engineering work. We didn't go into action properly until um, the 20th of September. I think I described that, you know, I had a shell. I was lucky I got out of that. One of our own shells lobbed within about three feet of the trench. I dug. Luckily, I was stooping down, had my head up, I might have blown off.
6: One time, we put up for a rest at a rat infested tunnel in Camel Hill. The next morning, after the usual wash at a nearby shell hole, One of my covers burst out laughing, pointing to my head. "'Have you seen yourself this morning, Chizzy?' he asked. "'No,' I said. "'What's so funny about it?' "'Go and have a deco at yourself (laughs) in your glass,' he said, laughing. "'This I did pronto, "'and discovered the rats had enjoyed themselves during the night "'and ate quite a lot of my long hair. "'Fortunately... They were considered creatures because uh, they didn't sew my hair off near my scalp. But left about an inch of it, I wasn't a pretty sight. So that there was all kinds of chores to do. Uh, sometimes we'd be carrying rations up to the front line. Then uh, the 12 of us were detailed for a special wiring party on the left of Villers-Bretonneau. So uh, we were built in a little village, Larnavelle, near Corby, and we would carry up on our shoulders the steel pickets and the rolls of barbed wire for the night's exercise, because we could only go out after last light, and we had to be in off no man's land before first light so finally just before daylight in drizzling rain we were on the move our NCOs and our officers were in charge again and we were led up to an old line of trenches that was grassed over and uh, I reckon that would be about seven or eight hundred yards from the first German line of defence, and uh, in this line our fellows filed in. I was following up, and uh, then I, I I found myself um, waiting for the Zero Hour, and I just knelt down and said the little prayer that lives in my memory ever since, and. Uh, I would say the same thing today, but I, that morning I said, Please, God, bless mother and father, bless brothers and sisters, whatever becomes of me. Then I thought no more of a prayer or anything else. And then immediately after, Jack Adams ran along the top of the trench and he bawled out, Fix bayonets and load up. And then he came back, still running up boys and Adam keep going there is no objective
1: we started our attack at 11.55pm after the barrage had lifted our objective was the ridge at the windmill possears I read the ode there in 1978 on our diamond jubilee trip the wire was supposed to have been cut and unfortunately, it wasn't, excepting for a little bit of well, the particular spot where I was, so the outer section managed to get through. But uh, yeah, that a did. Uh, that a shrapnel bomb burst over oh, us, and uh, that's the end of it. I was badly wounded, the left leg being smashed and opened nearly from the knee to the ankle with a bullet through the foot. Then we're at what you call Hill 60. That's the place they blew up eventually. They had all dugouts under the hill. Well, there, there was a lot of mustard gas, and uh, the Germans used to send over these uh, uh, sneezing gas, and you couldn't help sneezing, and you couldn't put your helmet on it on <laughs> the mustard gas law. So I've seen plenty of that. I've seen chaps go out. It's weak at that mustard gas. Yes, that Hill 60, I've seen quite a lot go out there.
6: It's said that uh, some of our fellows just rested their, their guns on the wire and fired from there while others uh, uh, tried to uh, deal with the wire. But Nigger Wilson ran along the, the 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 wire in front of us and he found the opening which had been left to let their own patrols through. But because he was an old soldier, he knew he'd find that opening and he led us through the the wire. The wire was alive with bullets as we went through and he just bellowed out, form a line charge, and then we went, took the trench. The stretcher bearers were coming out from a little sunken part of the road and uh, they tied a handkerchief on their stretcher and the the guns that would fire, the Germans honoured the the stretcher bearers, they raced out, got their man, brought him in and they went out time and time again to bring their man in and each time the gunners just honoured those stretcher bearers
1: Oh my word, uh, that was the coldest winter they had for 35 years when we were there Oh, if the ground was frozen. When you went to dig to uh, dig a trench, you'd see the sparks fly off the pick handle when it was ground. That's a fact, you wouldn't believe it until you got through about three or four inches. Then you get onto the earth. Mm. But that's how to do it before you can dig a trench. They're marvellous chaps, what it that put me against smoking. You'd be in the trenches and they'd have to lighter light up to save their nerves i'd say you know what i mean probably give our posse away and i used to say i'd like to see their nerves as a something big stick
6: <laughs> but of course charlie is just one of those fellows that's still over there in the poppy field i i went to visit charlie one day he went to a different company than i was and the boys said, no. Charlie was reading a letter from home and, and a shell came over. We couldn't find a, enough of Charlie to bury him. But so that you see, that, that war, war as hell on earth, as man makes it.
0: Hard to believe these days, isn't it, when you look back. My dad was 16 years of age. You may never have heard the name Leonard Victor Waters. He was born on the 20th of June, 1924. He passed away on the 24th of August in 1993. He flew P-40 Kittyhawks in the Southwest Pacific. He flew 95 missions. He joined the RAAF in 1942 because he couldn't join even before, had he wanted to. He was Australia's first indigenous pilot. Leonard Victor Waters is um,
8: probably a pretty famous Camillaroy man. He was the first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot in the Second World War. Being a young boy that left school at 14, along with his brother, my dad, um, Donald, and um, went to work for their father, sort of ring barking and shearing and um, things like that. And uh, they actually both joined up to um, join the armed forces at the same time.
1: So we bade them farewell that day, and they went to uh, Brisbane, and the rest is history.
8: There's a lot of um, accolades around the place, postage stamps, hierograms, uh, streets, parks, and even the Warramai Hornet, which is an fa 18 fighter with all indigenous colours, all love it, and his name on the cockpit. Uncle Len did about um, 95 sorties or 95 missions and he graduated from being a ground mechanic when he first went there to when he left the Air Force, um, he'd actually um, attained the rank of warrant officer which is probably equivalent to sergeant. What was it like to fly the Kitty Hawks? Oh, they were unreal. They were.
1: Like, I mean, they, they didn't have the same power as a, as a Spitfire or a Mustang or a Thunderbolt but uh, we actually had the best record against the Japs.
2: Lynn Waters
3: was stunned when his daughter, preparing his biography, discovered he was Australia's only Aboriginal fighter pilot. He was shot seven times, flying against the Japanese from Dutch New Guinea to Borneo.
8: Moratai was one of those um, places where, the fighting was pretty heavy and um, there's a lot of um, uh, horrific stories about that place. They were
1: captured back off the Japanese and so they set up their main base there and that's where he did most of his flying from.
8: The moment he got his wings there was um, a kitty hawk that was actually named black magic and um, another pilot who was actually flying black magic actually got pretty crook so they had to fly him back to the mainland and meanwhile the commander said well he's a plane here and it's a good luck charm i think because it's named black magic one of the anti-aircraft um, shells actually um, lodged between his um, seat and fuselage, but it didn't explode. If it had hit
1: six inches one way or the other, you wouldn't be interviewing me here today.
8: <laughs> and he had a bit of a giggle about it, and sort of said, well, it's the only first time ever that I didn't have to uh, wait on anybody to get off the tarmac to land. He said everybody had taken off for the
1: hills. Len was a hero, and it came back, with was brought suddenly to earth when he found out that he was when he came back he was just another black man.
8: And you know, when they fought, they fought gallantly and they come back thinking that they were liberators, only to get back and find out that they weren't even liberated.
1: Len was very disheartened when he came home and and found he couldn't get a job. And carry on his flying career. They were still,
3: you know, blacks that had to go back to the mission way of life, back to shearing. Mr. Waters has retired to Cunnamulla. He doesn't fly anymore, but the western skies he watches are big. How old was he when he died? 73, wasn't he? Yeah, that's what I reckon he'd be
8: in his 70s there. Yeah. Yeah. The true legacy, though, is that if he can do that in times of real trial and triumph over that, you know, in today's world, Aboriginal people can achieve just about anything that they dream of.
0: He was a remarkable man, Len Waters, and the sad story is the little piece at the end. When he came back to Australia, after flying 95 missions and serving his country, he wanted to continue flying. He wanted to be a pilot in Australia. He couldn't get government approval. Can you believe it? It happens. Another one of the heroes was Teddy Sheen. Still to come, Vietnam and Afghanistan. But to leave World War I and World War II with uh, the simplest of messages, uh, of all the little pieces that I've collected over the years, I think this one tells the story best.
9: France, May 19th, 1918. Dear Mother and Father, no doubt you've been surprised to have had no news from me lately, but we've been having a pretty rough passage. Been in the front line for over a month now and still no relief to hand. We've suffered pretty heavily, over 40 in our company casualties, but since taking over we've advanced about a thousand yards and are now in fairly good position. We've had plenty of sniping and shooting, (laughs) good sport. One morning Fritz attacked on our left across no man's land and after digging in, the Fritz kept coming, right up till midday. The weather's been glorious, Dinkum Australian. Well mother, I think this is all this time, very much sooner be getting ready for the theatre than getting ready for my job now, Just a fighting patrol. We met eight Fritzers last night. Well, fondest love to all. Hope they are all well and in the best of health. I'm in the best of health and spirits. I remain your loving son, Frank.
5: France, July 30th, 1918. Dear Mrs Mack, I'm writing to tell you of the death of your son, Corporal Frank J Mack. He was brought in here quite early on Monday morning, wounded in the abdomen. Everything possible was done for him, and during the day he seemed to maintain his strength. But towards evening he grew weaker, and died about 8.30pm. I was with him two or three times during the day, and again shortly before he died. It may be of comfort to know that I buried him this morning in a quiet little graveyard far from the noise of battle. His grave is well cared for and will be marked with a cross. May God comfort you in your trouble and grant to Frank eternal rest. I remain yours very truly. Reverend G.R. Boycott, Chaplain.
0: Of all the Australians who went away, these didn't come home. The Boer War, 538. World War I, 60,000. World War II, 30, 35,000. The Korean War, the Forgotten War, 339. The Malaysian incursion, 36. Indonesia, 15. And then we learned new words, words like Vietnam and Kasan, 496. In Iraq and Afghanistan, 43 didn't come home. In Afghanistan, 4 didn't come home from Iraq. To all the men, to all the women, who went away and served our country to those who didn't come home and to those who did. It's a day to remember. They shall not grow old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them lest we forget. Uh-huh.
3: A great tribute this morning, Pete. Thank you, dear. Really, very interesting and
0: very deserved. Of course, it's um, a very sad day. I think it, it's fascinating, and uh, I try not to talk about my dad a lot, but um, I like he was. Uh, he landed in France on his sixteenth birthday. Gosh. Bear in mind then, child. Yeah, and at the end of the war, when he came home, uh, and this is a true story. I'm not kidding anyone. Uh, he came home with his dear friend and they arrived to fremantle and they caught the train to perth got off the railway got off the train at the railway station and they were crossing wellington street mm-hmm. and his best friend who had been through 3 years of the war was hit by a boy oh, on a gosh. delivery bike hit his head on the curb and died oh dear really it gets worse. It does, yeah. Um, oh, how tragic. Yeah. And I mean, my father came from a gold mining family. Oh, heavens. Um, yeah. And at the end of the war, when he came back to Perth, they gave him two draft horses, a chain, a crosscut saw and an axe and what was called a horse and dray, which is horse and yeah. cart, and said, here's 5,000 acres in Tam and go and be a farmer. He had no idea. Of course what being not. What a farmer was like. Uh, and that was at 19 years of age. That was your grandfather, though, wasn't No, that was my father.
3: Your father from the First World War.
0: Yep. That makes you 120. It does, yes, yes <laughs> does, That's yeah. an amazing story. You've yeah. got to go into the yeah. outback to realise yeah. what they had to deal with. You do, out yeah. there. I mean, he cleared, it's uh, and farming people would know, or people who've been in the bush would know, he cleared 1,500 acres on his own. With the help of uh, a local bloke who came yeah. and lived in a mud brick house on the farm, yeah, well, and they cleared fifteen hundred acres. They yeah. don't make men that no. way anymore, do they? Pete? No, they no, don't. No, Could no, imagine no. us getting out and doing yeah. that. Mm. Great stories. No, it was really good this morning. Very, very touching. Very touching.